Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Isn't it good to be in church today? Amen? Amen. Well, my name is Noah. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And um, if you're new, I really pray that you feel welcome. And for all the rest of you, it is great to see you once again back in church. This summer, we've been running through this series. Um, it's through the book of Galatians, and it's called Keeping Step. And we're just kind of taking a section a week and kind of walking through it. Two weeks ago, Pastor Raul preached on um, Galatians 4, 12, 12, all the way up to chapter 5, 1. And kind of on that, he landed on verse 1 of chapter 5, and it says this, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Okay? If you haven't watched that, or maybe you've been keeping up, I would encourage you on our Facebook page, go back two weeks and watch that live stream. It will encourage you. And then last week, um, Pastor Drew, myself, and Pastor Raul, we had a roundtable discussion, and we talked about a little bit more in-depth about the book of Galatians and some topics that are in there. Um, Today, we're going to continue on through Galatians 5, and we're going to be going through verse 2 all the way to verse 12. So I'm going to read this passage, and then I'm going to kind of take it line by line and kind of begin to take it apart and in a hope that we can understand it more deeply. It says this, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You were severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor nor non-uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers... Still preach circumcision. Why am I being persecuted? In the case, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Say ouch. Kind of harsh. <laughs> A few weeks ago, I said this from stage. Um, back at the beginning, maybe <clears throat> before summer started. When Pastor Raul, Pastor Drew, and myself, we looked at the summer schedule for preaching. I didn't know I would keep preaching about circumcision. <laughs> it's my second time, and I, and I think I'm going to preach on it one more time. <laughs> Last week, when, during the roundtable, Drew made a joke that I was in a miniseries within the series. A circumcision miniseries. <laughs> Pastor Raul didn't like the title I gave my miniseries. Um, I called it a cut above. 
We're not going to call it that. <laughs> and he didn't like the joke I used. I said, um, and this has been happening, I keep winning in rock, paper, scissors, but only using scissors. <laughs> no more jokes. <laughs> Be serious. Stop messing around. We're going to get into the Bible. Amen? Amen? So open your Bible, if you have it, to Galatians 5. Okay? And we're going to slice on through this book of Galatians. <laughs> uh... Uh, you don't know how happy that makes me. <laughs> 10.30, in my bed, last night, about to fall asleep, and then that joke hits me. Yes! <laughs> Roll over and write it as fast as I can. It giggled last night and this morning. <laughs> uh, pull yourself together, guys. This is getting crazy. The main point for today, the real main point, the thing that would, if you were to distill all my words and my thought, would be this. Don't be hindered from running well in faith. Guard your hearts and your mind and stay close to Jesus. <clears throat> Let's start with verse 2 through 4. It says this. Look, I, Paul, say to, you, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law, not a piece of it, the entire law. You were severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, and you have fallen away from grace. If you have been here throughout the summer, you understand that in the book of Galatians, there's division that is woven into the entire text. The division is between two things, religious law, i.e. circumcision or Old Testament law, ceremonial law, and then on the other side you have faith in Jesus. And Paul, once again, is going after this behavior of the Christians that they continue to entangle themselves in the old way, in the old law. That they put their faith not in Jesus, but they put their faith in old law time and time again. And how he frames it in simple terms is this. If you embrace the law, you let go of Christ. For we can only truly put our faith or trust in one thing. We can't do it in both things. You can't have, say, a group hug with Jesus in the Old Testament law. You can't have a group hug with Jesus in a lot of cultural beliefs. Jesus is so exclusive that nothing else can be in the mix. Paul continues to say, if you don't fully let go of the, law, of the law, Jesus is of no advantage to you. And let's be honest. Following Jesus is the best way to live. He is my greatest advantage in my life. Think about things like this. Jesus said, he'll give you life and life abundantly. Sign me up. How about this? Beauty from ashes. Or about this, he'll give you a hope and a future. And most importantly, to kind of even wrap all that, he'll give you the Holy Spirit to lead you in all things. The prosperity gospel would tell you this, that if you follow Jesus, you're going to get earthly riches. 
That if you follow Jesus, maybe you'll get a surprise check in your, in your mailbox or you'll have money just hit your bank account. I would tell you it's much, much more than that. That the prosperity gospel is actually a very weak and shallow gospel. For what Jesus has done for you is far beyond financial gain. He gave you a hope in the future. And that can only be brought by the currency, not of the USD, the dollar, but only by the blood of Jesus. Faith in him will change everything in your life. In this one, here presently, in the next, and in heaven. And then you could say things like this when you follow Jesus. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. And God isn't anti-wealth or anti-poor. Be wise, make money. Let the Lord lead you in that. Because the gospel is so much more transcendent than material gain. Just like it transcends times and cultures and people groups. The point of the gospel and faith in Jesus is that he is enough in all seasons. I think about in Philippians what Paul wrote in chapter 4. It says this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you have no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger, in facing abundance, in facing need. I can do all thing through all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. In the wealth, in the much, Jesus is enough. In the poverty, in the little, Jesus is still enough. In the health and in the good times, Jesus is enough. And in the sickness, Jesus is enough. It reminds me of that, that passage that we hear, a very famous passage in Psalms. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what is the thing that comforts you in the valley? It's not the absence of darkness or difficult times. It says that this, when you're in the valley, there's one thing. He's with you. That's it. That you want to, that's, it's not a thing that you won't go through dark times or it won't be hard and it won't be difficult. But no, the comfort in it all is that even in the valleys and even the mountaintops, that Jesus is with you at all times. Yeah. And that he is enough. So Paul's plea in the opening chapter of chapter 5 is this. Don't let go of Jesus. And don't embrace the Old Testament law again. Because you miss out. You miss out on the advantage that is Jesus. Because the law, the Old Testament law, it's very severe. It says that in scripture that it's both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because it will lead you to righteousness, but it's also a curse because once you follow it, you must perfectly uphold all of it. And with the law, you can no longer claim ignorance. If you accept circumcision, you are now obligated to keep the entire law perfectly. In that obligation, that faith in the law does something. 
It removes you from the covering of God's grace. And we as Christians, we live and move and have our being in the grace of Christ. Amen? Amen. Without it, we truly are lost. God has grace for you today, for your failings and for your shortcomings. You simply need to do this. Embrace Jesus, put your faith in him, and put your faith in his work on the cross. Verse 5 and 6. It says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accounts for anything, but only faith working through love. I love that phrase he uses in verse 5, eagerly wait. Weist, he's a biblical commentator, said this about this phrase, eagerly wait. He said, the word speaks of an attitude of intense yearning and an eager waiting for something. Here it refers to the believer's intense desire for an eager expectation of a practical righteousness, which will be constantly produced in his life by the Holy Spirit as he yields himself to him. As you wait on the Lord and as you remain in his presence, you will change. And as you walk in your faith, that will become your desire. You'll want to look like Jesus. And you will eagerly await for that righteousness. Because if you're a believer and you walk with Jesus for some time, you understand how frustrating the battle of the flesh can be. But here's hope. God is out to make his people righteous through the process of sanctification. Day by day, as you walk out your faith in Jesus. And sanctification sounds like such a big word, but it's really simple. It's this. It's the process of becoming holy. God said, my, my people will be holy for I am holy. And as you wait on the Lord and follow the Holy Spirit, this will happen in your life. Because it's Jesus that transforms people. It's not your good works. Jesus transformed many people in this room. And if I go back, I could probably find junctions in your life where Jesus changed everything for you. Amen? That's why I love this line in verse 6. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It's really sarcastic in nature how he says that. Because he says, another translation says, it counts for nothing. It counts for nothing. You, putting your faith and trust in circumcision status, in ceremonial law, or you could say, putting my trust in anything other than Jesus, is both irrelevant and it's powerless. Putting your trust in something that is powerless is incredibly foolish. It's like believing that this water bottle here has the ability to heal someone. It by its nature, cannot do that. But God, by his nature, can. Because God, by his nature, is supernatural. And his workings are miraculous because it is in his nature. God so loved the world. It's in his nature to love his creation. And it leads us to verse 6. It says, faith working through love. Paul ends this thought with addressing our starting point and what it leads to. Faith in Jesus, which is our starting point, 
should always lead to works in love for people. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding, or understand all mysteries and knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The more time you spend with Jesus, more of his nature and his characteristics are transmitted to you. In the primary one, the source of motivation of God is love. It's why even at the beginning of time, he said, let us make man in our image out of love. And even when the fall of humanity happens and we have this big mess with sin and death, the devil, all of these things, what did he do? He sent his love in a, name, in a person named Jesus so that the world might be saved for God so loved the world. I love that because Jesus even says in John 13, says this, by all people, by this all people will know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. Because when you hang out with Jesus and you spend time in his presence, you change. And one of the characteristics of God that is transmitted to believers is that we love people ridiculously, long-suffering with people. And it's the marker of a Christian to love people like Jesus does. That it would stamp your hearts and your mind and be a part of your identity. Let's continue on to verse 7 and 8. Paul says, as you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. You were running well. Paul commends them on starting their journey with Christ. He says, good job. You're doing awesome. Then immediately after, he questions them. And he says, what happens on this journey, on this race? Because we all really know it's super easy to start a race or even to start a triathlon. But it's awful to finish, right? <laughs> you won't see me running. This is body built by butter, you know. <laughs> Joe Henderson, he's 80 years old. He's an American runner, running coach, and a writer. He said this. I love this quote. He said, no marathon gets easier later. The halfway point only marks the end of the beginning. Faith is much like that. That's why, it's why those that finish the race of faith really well receive much honor. I think of Pastor Keith often. One of the pastors that was here for a very long time, and he had died recently in the last few years. Pastor Keith finished well. His mark and his impact on this church is great amongst many of us. In all of us, regardless if you knew him or not, you and me are benefactors of his faith in his walk with the Lord. He's one of the people that prayed this place into existence. And that may be the first time you heard his name. By faith, in relationship with God, was shaped 
by watching and learning from Pastor Keith. One day, and this is kind of my, my paraphrase to kind of put everything together. As I was talking to him right over here, he said this to me. He goes, Noah, in the last 30 years, many things have changed here in this church. The music, the lights, the paints, but none of it matters because the spirit of God is here. I'll never forget that. And as I grow old, I hope to carry that same spirit. As I have my own preferences, as I have my own ideas, I hope I chase one thing in my life, the spirit of God. After the statement of running well, Paul asks a question. He says, who hindered you? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This is not from him, him being Christ who calls you. Another way the phrase is, is this. Where did this thought, this idea, this ideology, when did it creep into your heart, into your mind? Because this strange persuasion has hindered you from running well. It has hindered your race of faith. It has done something to you, and you're not running well. I think of what Paul wrote in Hebrews 13. It says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. Remember he who calls you. Remember the word of God that changed your life. And I'm not speaking just exclusively of just the text, the book. But what I'm speaking of, the ruach of God, the breath of God that actually empowers those pages. The breath of God that actually empowers believers. The breath of God that actually changes everything. The Bible is called living and active. Not because your Bible can just walk up and get legs. It's because the breath of God is imbued into the pages. And without that breath, without that ruach of God, it is just a book. But with the breath of God, in the pages of those books, can change your life. The ruach of God. It's the same breath if you even go back and think about the Lord speaking. The same God that when he spoke, made all creation happen. The same God that spoke to Moses, Elijah, David, Paul in Galatians speaks to you. It's the same breath, the same words. Because Jesus Christ is truly the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. The word, the breath of God changes everything. And it brings life. The ruach of God when it encountered you can bring life and life abundantly. Witness and remember people that ran that race well. Like Pastor Keith, I hope to imitate his faith. Following the one that calls you. I want to talk about guarding your heart and your mind. 
It says, don't be led away from strange and diverse teachings. I find this is incredibly relevant for today because this is actually what's happening in our culture right now. Don't let a twisted ideology, this persuasion, take the place of the one who calls you. Don't let it creep into your heart, into your mind, and hinder you. Don't let something, an idea, a thought, take the place above Jesus. Keep Jesus in his way first. Through his voice, he will lead you through all the waters of life. Keep your ear tuned to his voice and guard your hearts and your minds. In 1 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We must destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought. If you're a Christian, you understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities of powers and rulers in darkness. For Christ came to set us free from sin and from death, and the devil and demonic forces want to re-enslave you to that sin. I find it interesting in the same line in 1 Corinthians 10 of talking about divine forces at work, it's followed very, very closely by arguments and lofty opinions. Almost saying in a way that that opinion is just not an opinion of a person, but it holds something spiritual and something divine and something demonic with it. Because it's opinions against one thing, raised against the knowledge of God. And what, do we are, and what are we to do with those thoughts? It says that we are to destroy the arguments and take every thought, every remnant of an ideology that would take the place of Jesus and lock it up and throw away the key. And then out of that, follow Christ. There's a severity in this interaction because the things that enter your heart and your mind, they matter. The, the thoughts or the seedling of an idea that seems to be not a very big deal may sprout and grow into something far more toxic and devastating than you ever imagined. For what you believe in your head, in your heart, will turn into action. And that action will shape your entire life. Destroy the arguments and take every one of those thoughts captive. And don't let things that are not of Christ grow in your soul. Amen? It always starts with really small thoughts. Always really, really small thoughts. Just a little idea. It's not a big thing. It's just a, it's not a big deal. Think of how the serpent talked to Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. What was his opening line to her? He said this. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Questioning the knowledge of God. 
raised against the knowledge of God. Or how about let's put it in our terms for today. Apply whatever thing in your mind. Did God actually say that? Did the Bible actually say that? Do you actually believe that? Come on. You believe this old book? You can't believe what it says. Just a small thought. Just one idea, one ideology. Verse 9 and 10. Paul says a little leaven, leaven, leavens the whole lump, meaning yeast and bread has an interaction, makes it rise. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. I have this illustration. I want you to think about this bottle of Coke being your heart and your mind. Illustrative of probably just your entire life. Because out of your heart and your mind, your actions follow. So this is your heart and mind. These Mentos... I see you guys also watch YouTube. <laughs> this is just a little thought. It can't be that big of a deal. Do you really believe the whole Bible? What, you're really going to alter your whole... You're really not going to go there? You're really not going to watch this? What, you believe this about gender, identity, marriage? Just a little thought. It can't be that big of a deal. It's just one little thought. It can't surely affect my whole heart and my mind and my life. No. But those thoughts have an interaction that begins to happen. And something begins to change. It changes everything. And then also something else happens you lose much of yourself in the process. Now, it gets even more disturbing. What happens if I continue to drop Mentos? <laughs> Not that one. What happens with the next idea? The next thought? The next thing that kind of one thing led to another, nothing happened. What about this thought about how I should live my life? Huh. It's because the thing has already been fundamentally changed. Matthew 16, 5 through 12. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and he's leaving with his disciples. Got on a boat, went to the other side, and it says this. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they begin discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. 
But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourself the fact that you have no bread? Did you not perceive? Did you not get it? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many bas baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of the teaching. Beware of the thoughts, the ideology, anything that would take number one over Jesus. Beware. In bread making, once something has yeast in it and it rises, you can't unleaven it. And even if you use a small amount of that, new, of, that, of that old leaven thing in a new batch, what happens? It begins to rise. It's the very process my wife's been making sourdough this summer. Praise the Lord. And every time to make a new batch, she needs to take from the old and add it to the new to continue that process. What do you have to do to get rid of the leaven? What do you have to do to get rid of this yeast that is active? You have to throw away the entire batch. And nothing can remain. Not one remnant, not one shard, not one belief or idea or thought that is above Christ. Just like this Coke, it can't be, it can't be recovered after interacting with the Mentos. It's fundamentally changed. We can't fix that. There's only one thing to do. With the bread, the leavened bread, the yeast, or this Coke, you got to throw it out. And you have to start fresh. Good thing we know a miracle-working God that can create something new. And in Christ, what are we? We are a new creation. Starting fresh. In Mark 2, 22, Jesus talks about new wine. And he says this, And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. The new wine in this passage is the Holy Spirit's. And you, believer, are the wineskin. You must be born again in Christ, be made new, get rid of that old way of thinking, that old way of living, that old ideology, because they are not compatible. You can't embrace Jesus and embrace anything else. They're not compatible. Paul ends this thought with frustration in verse 11 and 12. For this was truly the issue of the time by keeping the old way while trying to keep, embrace Christ. 
I'll say it's the issue of people, of our time. In verse 11 and 12, he says this, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. The two are not compatible. Mentos and Coke are not compatible. And much of what's in our culture in time is not compatible. You cannot. You cannot embrace the beliefs in the culture of this world and embrace Jesus at the same time. You can't. Because it even says in Scripture that we are to be in the world, but we are not to be of the world. Because you know who you're of, who I'm of? We're of Christ. We're not of this world. We don't embrace or subscribe to those ideologies. We embrace Christ, Christ and we keep him, number one. We only follow him and our life is to reflect it. Jesus in John 14 says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. Not your works, not your ideology or your ideas of the world. It's only through Jesus. It says the path is very narrow. Following Jesus is very beautiful. And his grace is truly enough for you. Because remember, it's not only about how you start, it's how you finish.